Welcome to FIC Focus, where Bloomberg Intelligence fixed income, credit currency, and commodity strategists and analysts discuss their short and long-term views on debt markets and issuers. Now, here's the Bloomberg Intelligence FIC research team. Welcome to the FIC Focus Podcast, Macro Matters Edition. My name is Ira Jersey. I'm the Chief U.S. Interest Rate Strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence, the research arm of Bloomberg LP. Joining me today is Erica Edelberg and Noel Hebert. They are my colleagues covering mortgages and the corporate market, respectively. Today, we're talking about the performance outlook for 2023 for the Bloomberg Aggregate Bond Index. I'll start off being a little meta, talking about our outlook for for rates very briefly. You've heard me talk about it before, but we are rather constructive on rates for uh, for 2023. We think that the Bloomberg Treasury Index and by extension, the aggregate index will um, will uh, rally pretty substantially over the course of the next 12 months. Uh, we obviously have have rallied quite strongly during the, the month of uh, uh, November and, and the beginning of December so far. Um, it, it won't be a straight line. There certainly will be some pullbacks, but but generally speaking, we do think that 10-year yields will end uh, will end 2023 below 3%, and we also think that there'll be a pretty decent rally in the front end as well. Um, the reason for this is that we do expect the market to um, to, to start to price in for a recession sometime in, in late 2023. That Bloomberg Economics certainly thinks that there's near 100% chance of recession in the second half of next year. And even if that gets pushed out to uh, to the beginning of 2024, regardless, the market will start to cut price in for interest rate cuts and probably pretty substantial interest rate cuts at that. When the Fed starts to cut, it's not going to cut in 25 basis point little small increments, but we think that they'll go you know, 50 basis points at a time and maybe cut upwards of 250 uh, to 300 basis points, basically getting the Fed funds rate back down toward 2% from uh, from what we think will be a peak early next year of 5%. And, and because of that, you'll wind up with uh, probably at least in, from a uh, for a brief period of time, seeing even a more substantial inversion of the yield curve. Yield curve might invert as much as 100 basis points, maybe even 125 in terms of the two-year versus 10-year uh, during the course of the, the the first half of next year, but I think once we really get a significant slowdown and the uh, we, we start to see inflation start to moderate during the early throes of a recession, the market will price for pretty substantial cuts, and that's when you start to see very significant bull steepening of the yield curve, where two-year notes can wind up rallying quite a lot, and and you might want to think about rotating more toward front-end assets, because on a risk-adjusted basis, they'll probably outperform the long end, um, but but probably, but in our view, not until later next year. That it won't be something that you want to be in now. It's something that you want to rotate into and and maybe leg into sometime in the in the middle of next year as as the. Uh, um, as as the Fed reaches its peak of interest rates, probably next March, maybe May, um, we do have to talk about the terminal rate that the market still is pricing for about a 50-50 chance of the upper bound of the terminal rate being either five percent or five and a quarter percent. We think it's more likely to be five and a quarter, which is yet another reason why we think that uh, two-year notes maybe are um, uh, could sell off a little bit more from here. Um, but meanwhile, the long end um, is is probably going to find a floor, but not necessarily sell off very significantly. Um, and uh, you know, as the market still thinks that 
that the that the Fed and monetary policy is going to be easier at some point in the future. This is actually relatively normal. Um, you know, people are looking at the last four cycles and trying to figure out when the market starts to bull flat, uh, bull steepen instead of bear flatten, like we've seen. Um, but what you have to appreciate is that. The, during the past cycles, you, you didn't have the the same both inflationary and a potential deflationary imp, uh, disinflationary impulse that you're likely to get at the end of this cycle. So, um, so, so it, that means that the market can wind up staying inverted for much longer than we have during the past four cycles. Go back to the 1980s and the early 1980s, the yield curve, the two tens curve, for example, stayed inverted for nine months between 100 and 150 basis points uh, inverted. And I don't see why that uh, a similar situation won't end up uh, occurring this time. Um, so we could probably have another six months of uh, of inversion of, of the yield curve even after the Fed reaches its peak. Um, but then uh, but then, of course, it might not be as inverted as it was. So so we can wind up seeing a very substantial move um, in the second half of next year in terms of, of the yield curve reverting back towards zero and, and a, a flat yield curve instead of um, instead of a 100 basis point inversion that, that we expect in the near term. Um, this obviously will have knock-on effects for returns in almost every other fixed income market if in the U.S. for sure and then potentially in the world. Other jurisdictions like Europe, for example, um, are probably a, a, a quarter or two behind the U.S. in terms of not only its interest rate policy, but also in terms of what the, what market and market returns might be. So, so even though you might wind up getting a very substantial sell-off, for example, in, in German boons, um, you uh, the, the the U.S. might look a little bit past that, but it won't be completely. Uh, devoid of, of intraday moves, but I think from a trend perspective, um, you, you can't take much out of what might go on in Europe uh, or or even uh, even Japan if if the Bank of Japan gets rid of yield curve control, for example. You can wind up seeing a very substantial sell-off in, in 10-year JGBs, but that won't necessarily mean much, much more than a one- or two-day move in, in treasuries that probably will lead to, uh, to, to more buying at, at somewhat higher yields. So, so that's, in brief, our view. Uh, you can find all of our outlooks at BI Outlook. Um, and uh, so we, we do have the uh, U.S. rates outlook was put out on uh, December 1st. You can please find that there if you'd like to get more detail on what our forecasts are for 2023 and, and even into 2024. Um, but with that, I, I'm going to uh, uh, note to someone else who's put out their uh, outlook for the agency mortgage market on December the 5th, and that is Erica Edelberg. Erica, you know, talk to us a little bit about your view, particularly where you see excess returns for uh, for mortgages over the next year or so. Hi, Erica. Uh, thanks a lot for passing it off. Um, yeah, my outlook, as I mentioned, came out on Monday, I think, of this week. So take a look at BI Outlook or on my bio or BI Mort, and you can find it there. But bottom line, you know, given taking just a quick step back to where we're coming from, and you know the the general outlook for mortgages, this was along with most other fixed income sectors the worst year in mortgage history, and not a great year from an excess return, a terrible year from a total return standpoint. Um, we can't be totally surprised by that because we started at very low yields and very tight spreads. And um, with especially with the, you know the Fed policy tightening, but also the Fed runoff, you know, all we've seen is um, at least through November of this year, you know, a terrible return year for mortgages. So 
on the bright side, that kind of leaves us in a better place to start 2023 if IRA's views on rates comes to pass um, when IRA's rates <laughs> comes to pass, mortgages should have a terrific year from a total return standpoint. On an excess return standpoint, um, we think we're in better shape because a lot of the spread widening from Fed runoff has kind of um, worked its way through the market, and it's found good support from money managers who started last year underweighted uh, when we got to the wide. So we continue to think that there will be decent relative value uh, support from money managers and maybe even um, some of the banks and other levered accounts coming back in at spreads where we are recently, as we've seen when spreads have gone to their wides. Um, and there's just more cushion as well from a spread standpoint. I think current coupons are around 140 basis points to treasuries right now compared to where they were um, at last year around this time, which was around 70 basis points. So, you know, that extra spread buffer does give you some comfort in terms of excess returns versus treasuries as well. On top of that, we, uh, our volatility um, strategist, Tanvir Santu, thinks that if anything, volatility probably is likely to trend lower, especially given the directionality of volatility with rates. And so when rates rally, we expect volatility to fall, which is another positive for mortgages. The other positive for mortgages, we think, is that supply will be relatively low. Uh, new issue, especially uh, gross supply will be a lot lower with speeds where there are no refinancings. Um, but on the other hand, there's no refinancing needs either. We also think net supply is going to be lower with the housing market slowing down um, and not a lot of, you know, not as many first time home buyers coming into the market with affordability causing issues with those homeowners, potential homeowners. A lot of those guys will go into renting probably instead of taking out new mortgages. And at the same time, we think new home supply is going to be trending downwards as it has been for the same affordability issues. So from a supply demand standpoint, we think demand will be better at this level of spreads. And we think that um, supply will be lighter overall. Of course, you do have the Fed runoff still, you know, still happening. But with prepayments as slow as they are, that it's coming out to less than 20 billion of additional supply a month, net uh, effective supply, um, with them not reinvesting their paydowns. So all in, we we think that you know the supply demand technicals are decent for mortgages, and we kind of like the the fundamental value as well with spreads wider. Um, Erica, if I can yeah. just uh, just ask a quick question here before we turn things over to Noel. Um, in what, when you think about the those supply demand dynamics, is there is there a point where you wind up with refinancings? I can't, uh, you know, in the last couple of weeks with the fifty basis point rally and in treasuries, we've actually had some people questioning like, oh, you know, will this mean that you have a significant pickup in refinancings and the like? Um, but but you had noted in one of your recent pieces just what, what the distribution of the market outstanding is. Um, so, so can you review that a little bit? And, and you know, is there how much would uh, would the market have to rally to get any kind of substantial refinancing leave? Yeah, sure thing. Yeah, of course, you know, everybody always wonders at what point we have um, convexity-driven issues in the mortgage market that, that transfer over into the rest of the fixed income market. 
And so much of the mortgage market was actually created at lower rates. Mortgages were taken out. People refinanced their higher coupon mortgages at the lower rates that almost all of the mortgage market currently is more than 200 basis points out of refinancing potential. So I, I did a quick kind of uh, an analysis of how much rates would have to rally. And from the 6.5% mortgage rate, we're slightly below that now, but from a 6.5% mortgage rate, I estimated that to be in marginal refinancing territory, which is kind of more than 50 basis points of benefit for refinancing, you'd have to have um, a 200 basis point rally for, for more than 7% of the mortgage market to, to jump into that framework. That doesn't mean that the people who took out mortgages in the past couple of months wouldn't maybe consider refinancing, but that's a very small percentage of the mortgage market at this point, probably wouldn't really create any sort of convexity event. So we, we think that, you know, in terms of convexity risks, the, the, they're very low, uh, you know, even even if we rally um, as much as we expect over the next year. Great. Well, I'm going to turn things over to Noel Hebert to talk about the corporate bond market, both the investment grade and high yield. But Noel, if you could stick a little bit more to the investment grade sector, because that is uh, where, where the ag uh, in, invests. And, and then we can come back for a couple of other uh, questions and, and a little discussion. All right. Great. Thanks, Ira. Thanks, as always, for, for having me on. Since uh, you would like me to focus a little bit more on IG. I'll start with my yield <laughs> and wrap with IG so that it sort of feeds into the discussion. But, you know, looking at the year ahead, I think, uh, you know, pluses and minuses from the high yield side, I think certainly, again, sort of piggybacking on the environment that sort of feeds into your rates forecast. You know, that's an environment where high yield, uh, you know, spreads can still see some particularly material repricing from here. They've been pretty resilient uh, pretty much through the whole second half of this year, despite sort of the macroeconomic headwinds. So, you know, sitting in the mid 400s as of uh, today, you can go anything from wider to substantially wider such that uh, despite an 8% type coupon, your total return profile for the year ahead maybe looks something in the neutral to plus 4% neighborhood, uh, which translates into maybe an excess return in sort of the minus 5 to minus 8% neighborhood. So, uh, that would take your spread out towards, you know, six, seven, eight hundred basis points, depending on, again, sort of how sanguine or not you may be. Um, high yield issuance, horrible this year, about $130 billion. That'll certainly, well, not certainly, but I would suspect that that comes in a little bit better uh, next year, again, uh, on the presumption that sort of rates uh, come back a little bit and as a bigger refinancing uh, calendar moves into the picture. Uh, pivoting over to the investment grade side, uh, you know, I think a tale of two cities of sorts. I think uh, excess returns, you're, you're probably struggling a little bit, uh, but total returns, uh, if you're getting sort of the type of treasury performance uh, that you're looking for, you can pretty readily get into sort of the low double digits there, uh, maybe 10 to 12. I'm a little bit less sanguine in terms of how uh, the whole picture plays out. Uh, so I'd be looking for mid to high single digits in terms of uh, total return performance from the asset class on an excess return basis. Uh, you know, we've gotten a pretty substantial rally over recent weeks in terms of spreads coming in from, you know, 160-ish to near 130. Uh, I could see us retrace that move, move back to 160. And if we end up in sort of a, a recession or at least a fear of recession sort of environment, uh, you could start testing up to 180, 190. I don't know that we finished the year there. We'd probably finish the year uh, tighter than that. But, uh, you know, that's the type of environment 
where excess returns probably end up in the minus one to minus three neighborhood. So just sort of, again, maybe putting a bow on all that uh, sort of mid-high single-digit returns potential is maybe the bias is a little bit to the upside if rates deliver. Uh, and then on the issuance side this year, it looks like we're going to come in right around $1.3 trillion. Uh, pretty nice year, uh, you know, above sort of the long-term norms. Just looks kind of pale compared to the most recent years with the pandemic being, you know, $1.9 trillion and then, you know, $1.4 trillion last year. Uh, but still pretty healthy. A uh, year ahead, I, I think just because we're going to have a period where rates are going to stay relatively elevated versus the maturing coupons. Uh, and given how aggressive financials were in the marketplace in terms of issuing this year, that uh, a little bit of a retracement there isn't improbable. So something uh, either side of $1.2 trillion uh, looks about right, which on a net basis probably works out to three $350 billion. Uh, and so that's sort of where we're at. Great. Well, thanks very much for for that information. So, Noel, let, let me just start with you, just in in terms of a a quick question for you. And and this goes to the risk profile of um, of our outlooks. So, if you had to couch one of the bigger risks, would it be that that spreads tighten significantly more than you think, or that spreads continue to widen, given that we're going to have a recession? And you know, there's a lot of people who are thinking that maybe you know equities might might fall significantly. You know, what, what's the what's the bigger risk there? You you think that the market might be offside for? Well, I guess I mean I guess it depends on whether you're talking excess or total return because I think uh, if we're sticking with the investment grade theme, but I guess the spread widening risk is less concerning to me just from the standpoint of that probably means that you're probably getting a much more favorable rates backdrop uh, that's helping sort of feed into that uh, that repricing on the spread side. Uh, so your total returns are probably a okay. Uh, I think if spreads tighten, you know, inversely, you know, you probably end up in more of a stagflationary backdrop where rates retrace a little bit, and then from a total return standpoint, you end up uh, maybe punished a little bit. But you know, coupons obviously in the fives, you know, for a lot of folks are looking pretty compelling, and, and so we've gotten an odd year this year where we've had some really strong positive correlation between uh, treasury yields and spread, both moving higher together or lower together. Uh, which is, you know, not unheard of, but less common. Uh, so I would look for some normalization as we go into the new year in 2023 in that relationship so that you get a little bit more negative correlation between those two. So again, I think, you know, rates is obviously the much bigger driver uh, in terms of your total to return profile. So I guess maybe thinking about it in the opposite land, wherever spreads go, higher is probably better for you in terms of total return, lower is probably worse. <laughs> so, and and last question for you. This is a little bit on the kind of the structure of the market, given the inversion in the yield curve, and and you you still don't necessarily have that same inversion, obviously, in, in the spread curve. Um, is there is there a, a proclivity of for issuers to issue uh, in certain sectors? Have we seen more long term versus? You know, it kind of intermediate or shorter term issuance. Um, number one, and then number two on the other side, is there significantly more demand maybe for uh, certain sectors, just given the shape of of the oil and yield curve, both from the corporate yield curve vis-a-vis -vis the uh, the treasury curve? Yeah. So I, I mean, on the first part, I think it's been a little bit um, bifurcated. I think we started the year where uh, the the issuance was sort of in that ten year and out neighborhood. I think people were kind of concerned where rates might go. Uh, and so they were trying to lock in longer term financing there. But I think over the last uh, several months, uh, so let's just call it the second half of the year, we've really seen sort of the average tenors, the average maturities here kind of pull in. 
part of that is also owing to that we've also seen a much larger concentration in terms of banks uh, in the marketplace. So just to get a sense, I mean, uh, you know, financials overall are, are on pace to issue, call it $730 billion this year, almost $500 billion of that being from the banks themselves. Uh, those are both sort of records for the sector and the subsector, respectively. And, and obviously, they tend to issue a little bit shorter dated than everybody else. Uh, you know, sort of stick to the belly a little bit more. Uh, in terms of, uh, you know, sectors that were more active, obviously, they were the most active. But other than that, we saw huge pullbacks, you know, in all the consumer sectors where you're talking cyclicals or staples. Uh, technology uh, was still a really robust year for them. Uh, I think they were a little bit north of $140 billion, But, you know, relative to last year when you had a little bit more M&A concentration, they were a little bit slower. Uh, so, you know, some of those sectors are all going to be you know, I would look for a lot of slowdown in some of those stronger sectors in the year ahead. Uh, in terms of where the demand's been, you know, I, I think, you know, again, sort of similarly to sort of the issuance patterns, I think, uh, or maybe a little bit of the reverse, right? In the front end of the year, you had people sort of selling off duration, uh, just again, sort of on the rates uncertainty. I think people have been a lot more sort of drawn into longer duration stuff, particularly in the fourth quarter, not so much in the third. Uh, so, you know, there's been, continues to be a fair amount of uh, interest there, and I think that's carries over into the new year, uh, just as, you know, you have a lot of, obviously, match-funded buyers, whether you're talking insurance or otherwise, and, you know, if you can lock down a 5% coupon or if you're at that part of the curve, you can easily get into the sixes, depending on what kind of credit profile you're assuming, et cetera. Uh, you know, that's, you know, that's not something they've seen in quite some time, uh, so I, I continue to look for buyers there. Thanks very much. And, and Erica, as you unmute yourself, um, just a question for you also on the demand sector. So have we seen any significant shifts in the buyer base? Obviously, the Federal Reserve is no longer in the market, but, um, you know, is it banks or REITs? Like, who, who do you think at these wider spreads is likely to be the incremental buyer? And um, do you see any shifts in that demand dynamic for mortgage-backed securities and, and TBAs over the uh, over the course of the next six to 12 months? Hi, Ira. So far, we've seen money managers really been the ones who are coming in. REITs are still, you know, they, they've given some lip service to maybe getting back involved. They do have that great leverage ratio, but they're they're still having price issues, uh, you know, price to book issues. And banks definitely have, have been, if anything, diminishing their support of the sector. So far, foreign investors haven't really been big supports either. So it's been money managers who have come in every time spreads have widened from from what we can tell. And they seem to still be fairly bullish on the sector. Uh, I know at the beginning of the year, they were very bearish on the sector because they anticipated, as we did, the spreads would widen as the Fed pulled out. Um, but they, they, like, they like spreads at these levels. They actually, a lot of them have mentioned that they like the fact that with volatility higher, they have been able to buy spreads wider. It's been an opportunity for them. I've been a little concerned that they may be using up some of their dry powder, but so far, especially if you look at something like ETFs, you're seeing inflows coming in. And um, from what our research tells us, money managers still had plenty of room to add. If anything, they were still underweighted even recently. So uh, it's, I think it's going to be still the money managers, but they're going to be very relative value sensitive. Um, and right now they like them better than corporates in general as a, as a whole, which is one of the reasons they buy them. But you know, to the extent that dynamic switches, it, it might have to change. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, any final thoughts from either of you? 
Uh, just that you better be right. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're hoping for that rate. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I suppose, I, I suppose, from, from that perspective, you know, what could go wrong in the rates market? It, you know, having a significant sell-off in in rates. I, I think that if we did, it would wind up probably meaning additional inversion and more bare flattening of the curve. Um, that that doesn't mean that you can't get ten-year yields back up to four, four and a quarter percent, particularly in an environment where inflation not only is stickier than than we think which which we think that inflation will be relatively sticky versus what's being priced into the market and what consensus economic forecasts are but importantly you know if you get a reacceleration of inflation and the inflationary environment um, that causes the Federal Reserve not only to hike to five and a quarter but maybe hike to six percent or even higher and, and that is this the I think the single biggest risk to rates not at, at least making their their coupons over the next 12 months um, so, so so, but but a sell-off such as that, you know, probably does lead you to that 200 basis point inversion in the twos tens curve, where you wind up seeing two-year yields upward to five, five and a quarter percent, with the Fed funds rate at six percent, and then uh, and then ten-year yields again could sell off to to four and a quarter, uh, you know, maybe maybe four and a half, but I think much more likely somewhere around the four and a quarter range, and um, so so really bad total returns. But but I think the big story is I, I think in in either environment, at least over the next three to six months. The, the yield curve is going to further invert. The question is, will it be bullishly where 10-year yields start to fall in anticipation of this pretty, uh, you know, reasonably uh, bad economic outlook while the Federal Reserve is going to be reluctant to cut interest rates? Or will the Fed hike more and hike significantly more? And, and in doing so, you wind up with two-year yields selling off uh, a lot and 10-year and yields not going quite as, high, quite as much higher as that. So, so, so the, I think that's the risk case. Uh, you know, again, I think that's a pretty low probability in general. Um, you're much more likely to, to see the long end of the curve in particular kind of just meander, you know, in the three to a quarter to 375 range for, for a period of time until there's uh, much clearer direction on the on the economy and, uh, and and the policy outlook so with that we're we're nearing time and I'm going to say thank you very much to Noel Hebert and to Erica Edelberg for being on this thick focus podcast edition I've been Ira Jersey if you have any ideas for questions or guests that you'd like to have uh, that you'd like to hear us talk to on the uh, on the podcast please hit us up on the Bloomberg terminal uh, with that until next time be well be well